Hey y'all, it's your favorite host, and I wanted to just pop in here to say, uh, if you're enjoying the show uh, and you'd like to give us some support, the best way to do that is through Patreon. Uh, I've launched the Patreon with a couple of tiers. There's a $3 tier, which gives you access to the Discord, and you come hang out with uh, me and the other friends inside of that, uh, and just kind of talk the show, talk a bunch of different nerd stuff. And then there is a, another tier, an $8 tier, uh, where you can get early access to episodes ad-free. Um, you will also get free access to all uh, micro-RPGs that I create in the future. Yeah, so again, uh, thank you so much for listening to the show. Um, if you'd like to give additional support, that's one way to do it. Another great way to do it is just, you know, go on to whatever platform you're listening to and rate the podcast, subscribe, uh, follow, leave a review if you can. Um, those things really help gain visibility for the show, and it is always greatly appreciated. Link is in the description. Thank you so much, and back to the episode. Welcome to the Secret Nerd Podcast, where we think everyone should play tabletop RPGs and give you some reasons why. With me tonight, I'm very excited to speak to um, a writer in the TTRPG space. Um, they have done both stuff for Pathfinder as well as some other projects, uh, including some PBTA stuff. So yeah, if you would like to introduce yourself. Hi, I am Michelle Jones. Uh, if you follow me on Twitter, you know me as Alesha Kills. Hmm. I am a freelance RPG writer. I've been a um, freelance for Paizo on the Pathfinder game for about six years now. And over the last year, I've just been sort of branching out into other things. Yeah, that's awesome. It's funny um, <laughs> when you said that, I, I was thinking about your your profile picture or the picture for Twitter. And every time I open the Moenga Expanse and I'm in uh, the Vidrian section, I see that picture. I'm like, hey, that's Michelle. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, I definitely had that feeling going through that book, yeah. too, uh, which is part of the reason I chose that character as my profile picture. Yeah. Is going through the Mwangi Expanse, I just mm. like seeing all these like black characters who are yes. drawn by artists who know how to draw black people. I'm like, oh, that's my mom. That's my aunt. That's my cousin. <laughs> yeah. Like I know these people. Yeah. It is. It's so, it's so good. I mean, people who have listened to the podcast have heard me gush about it on basically every episode um, since I got the book and, and probably even before I got the book. And um, it, it really is awesome. And you wrote some stuff for that as well. So we'll definitely talk about that too. Um, but where I always like to start is just like, you know, how did you get into nerd stuff in general? Uh, so I, um, I was basically born a nerd is what I tell people like, <laughs> yeah. um, my dad had video games uh, like when he was growing up. And so yeah. I was like two, three years old playing on his Game Boy, like the original Game Boy. Yeah. So like I've been playing video games since literally before I could read. Um, <laughs> and then from there, I just kept branching out into books and fantasy. And, uh, you know, it was just sort of a natural progression into uh, RPGs. Yeah. What uh, what kind of fantasy books did you enjoy when you were younger? Um, anything about dragons. If there was yeah. a dragon on the cover, I bought it. I read it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Dragons. And then if it has a map, that's like a yeah, you sold <laughs> a map and an index of character names. That is the hotness. Yeah. Do you, do you have like a favor that you remember that or maybe still now that from then? Um, yeah, one of my favorite books as a kid, um, it was called, I don't remember the name of the individual book, but, um, it was the Bartimaeus trilogy. Mm. It's about like, uh, these like wizards in London who will like summon demons to do their bidding. <laughs> and the narrator of the book is this like very smart ass demon. And one yeah. of the things I love about that book 
is um he would claim that like demons are so more so far advanced like so beyond humans that they can think like six thoughts at once yeah and so there are literal footnotes in the book that are like his internal monologue <laughs> that's happening at the same time as what's happening in the book that's awesome yeah it's it's uh it's cool the worlds that um you know that writers create is that something that you um, have done or, or want to pursue as well, like fiction writing? Yeah. Um, you know, I definitely did try to get into f- fiction writing when I was in high school, but I think like novel length writing is just not my forte because yeah. I'm the kind of person who, when I come up with an idea, I'm super excited about it and I want to yeah. do, I want to like commit it to paper and I want to get something out of it. And then as soon as I have a new idea, I'm like, okay, that's the thing now. <laughs> So like long form novel writing is not for me, but I do love to like come up with worlds and like come up with characters to fill the worlds. Yeah. But after that, I think that's why TTRPG writing is so good for me because I'm like, okay, I came up with all of these cool things. Now I'm going to you and you make a story with it. (laughs) I'm just giving you like the places and the people you make it work. (laughs) No, I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah, I think it's, it's interesting. I, um, I just bought a book yesterday. And I'm probably going to butcher her name, like Nettie Okorafor or something like that. Um, She wrote these books, a sci-fi African futurist, and they're very short, like I think 70 pages a book. Mm. So I got the trilogy, which was like, looked like a normal size novel and it had all three books inside of it. Um, So, I mean, you know, there's some options there. (laughs) That's true. But yeah, I, I, it's so hard. Like being a creative person, being a writer like that, like it's hard to know, like, this is a story I want to tell and just like commit to just that grueling process of like doing a lot of stuff and rewriting it and going back and messing things around. Yeah. I have a couple of friends who have written novels and I have so much respect for them because like, that's a good, like, even if you're a fast writer, like minimum, that's like four months or six months of your life. Like, yeah. <clears throat> I don't think I've ever stuck with one project for that long. And yeah, and that's like only doing that, you know, but right. <laughs> put people in a situation where it's like, okay, well, now you have to live your their, your other life and, you know, and go do a job you don't want to do to pay bills and, you know, kids if you got them or whatever. So um yeah, that's interesting. Um, so yeah, I mean, you know, did you, you started playing games as a kid, video games and stuff like, did that something that you continue to do? Yeah, I definitely, I still play video games. Awesome. Um, I'm not the type of person who, like keeps up with the newest system, but yeah. like definitely there are games where I'm just like, oh, I got to play that. That looks fire. Yeah. Do you, do you like more narrative type games or? Honestly, I, uh, I like very kinetic games mm-hmm. like i love like um like action games i love shooters because yeah. when i'm playing a video game i want to like feel like i'm in the action yeah um like i don't mind a narrative game like like a turn-based rpg is cool like a visual mm-hmm. novel is cool but like if i want like to relax with video games i want to like give me a sword give me a gun yeah. Uh, something like that. <laughs> something, yeah. Some smash some stuff. <laughs> yeah. Basic combos. Yeah, it's a. Uh, I agree. There's definitely times like where it's like, okay, I'm just playing a game to veg out now, or um, I recently just like powered through the Last of Us series, um, and didn't sleep a lot because of how emotionally invested I was in that whole thing, and uh, yeah, and that was super um, not relaxing. Uh, in that sense, like you definitely are living in this too immersed. And so that's kind of a rough situation, but yeah. When did you, um, start to pick up TTRPGs? Uh, so I, I tried to get into it a couple of times in college and it was always that situation where someone would be like, oh yeah, you know, this game, it's so great. You got to play it. I'm like, oh, can I play with you? And they're like, well, we have a group. Um, so eventually I ended up like finding a local game store Mm -hmm. and just going there and playing. But, um, the situation I ran into there is like, is a bunch of like 
older white guys who yeah. are like running these games the way they've been running them for like 30 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's one guy who every other week he would like kill the entire party. And so mm-hmm. one day I just came in and I said, when this character dies, I'm finished playing this game. Yeah. And like a week after that, that character died. And it was like, okay, I'm going to start my own game now. I'm the GM. I'm in charge. Yeah. Um, because uh, that's the kind of person who I am. If I don't like the way that someone else is doing something, I do it. Yeah. Um. So I got like the people who went to that store who I liked, and I got them in my game. Yeah. And I started running games. That's awesome. What uh, system were you using at that point? Um. That was Pathfinder. That was Pathfinder First Edition. Very um. Cool. And the thing that I've always loved about Pathfinder is that it is a very like financially it's a very accessible game because Mm -hmm. anything you need to play you can get online for free yeah um like basically everything except for the adventures and like some of the like setting like the lore stuff yeah um like yeah um and that's actually the thing that got me into pathfinder is that um i was talking about dungeons dragons i was like oh man i don't know if i want to play pay uh, $50 for a book and then I don't even have friends to play with and somebody was like so here's this website and all of these Pathfinder books are free and it's legal and it's like it's officially you know like supported by yeah. the company I was like all right bet <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah I uh I, I I definitely didn't realize that for a long time um about Pathfinder and it really is cool like you know having especially when you bring new people into it and it's like, yeah, like, you know, I can send you the PDF, but realistically like go on archives of Nethys and you can just find all this stuff that you need. Um, and then now they have like path builder and you can just get access all the things you need there as well. Um, yeah. Like there, there are more tools now than there have ever been. Like I'm still learning about new stuff and I yeah. do this as a job. Um, <laughs> yeah. Um, but, you know, I listen, I'm all about a deal. I'm all about a sale. I'm all about whatever you can get. So, like, I'm always trying to tell people, like, not not just Pathfinder. Like, there are so many games out there mm-hmm. that you can just get legally for free. The people yeah. who write those games want you to play them. Yeah. Uh, like, there are so many games that are, like, on itch with community copies that the creator wants you to download to play their game. So I'm yeah. like... I'm always trying to tell people if you want to play a game and you're short on money, there's a way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think it's really cool, especially on itch. Like there's so many different projects out there. You can literally, you know, spend hours just kind of looking at different games to play. Um, But I I made my first game recently, a few weeks back um, that I've ever made. And I just put it on there for free because I was like, I don't know, like if this is good, but I want people to play it, you know, I don't want to like, let's just take the pressure off. If you want to pay a little bit, then pay a little bit. If not, like take it and play the game. And, um, yeah, so I, I definitely, uh, agree. There's so much cool stuff. And then I think to, you know, once you start to get to know people and other people can bring you in and, you know, give you access to their copy or whatever to like, you know, if you're playing like a big game, um, you know, then you're all just playing as a group and that makes it a little bit easier as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's super cool. Um, so it wasn't until college, you said, um, that she got to play. Like, were you aware of those games early on in high school and stuff like that? Like, I think I had that pop culture knowledge that everyone has. Yeah. Like, I was a kid and I watched, like, the Dexter's Laboratory episode where they're playing, <laughs> like, the knockoff Dungeons & Dragons. Yeah. And like, there was always something like kind of appealing about it, like the idea of it, but like the actual experience is so different from what pop culture would lead you to believe Dungeons and Dragons is that like, um, like, I think I always saw those shows where it's like, oh, I got to pour over all these rule books and I got all these numbers and it's all Mm. this stuff. And it's like, they make it seem way more inaccessible than it actually is yeah for sure did you ever um like did you ever look at those games and think like you know that was like a step too far into nerddom no i don't think i ever felt like it was a step too far i was a very big nerd yeah like i i think like 
probably at the time I was in high school, like LARPing would have been the only thing left for me <laughs> yeah. that would have been like, oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> but even even now, I'm like, conceptually, LARPing is fine. I just don't like the outdoors. <laughs> right. That's funny. Yeah, my wife is like 100% not a nerd at all. And we've talked about like uh, the idea of getting her to play a teacher RPG game stressful i think for both of us um and uh but she's like you know i feel like i would try larping though because at least like you're out there like swinging and like you're like doing stuff actively and i'm like i don't know about that (laughs) yeah yeah it's uh it's an interesting um dynamic all of that stuff um if you don't mind my asking where did you grow up uh so i grew up in uh well i was born in virginia and Mm -hmm. then most of my childhood i lived in maryland Okay. Um, so PG County, Maryland, um, it was like a very, like, I grew up in like this very quiet suburb where there was yeah. like, uh, like no other kids around. It was like, oh, wow. it was like basically a retirement community, <laughs> like the, 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 uh, the number of kids who were within like walking distance of where I lived. Yeah. Um, so did, yeah, okay. did did that like Im- do you think that that impacted um you know nerdiness in that way of like wanting to just like do stuff inside and you yeah. know kind of digging into fantasy worlds and things like that like i think it definitely did have an impact cuz i was like i was a very online kid i was an internet kid and so yeah. like i was like yeah i could walk an hour to hang out with like the like nearest person or I could just be on the computer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. That that would be tough. And, and you know where the, was there a lot of other black folks around? I did actually live in like a predominantly black neighborhood. Oh, okay. So that was um, like, I went to a predominantly black school. So like I grew up around mostly other black people. Gotcha. Um, like, like I don't think I've ever lived in like a predominantly white area like until later adulthood yeah so i'm interested then you know because you are now a part of the like increased diversity in paizo uh you know you wrote stuff in the moing expanse you wrote um for the uh adventure path for the strength of thousands right yeah that's right um, which is also in the Moenge expense. So um, I'm curious, like when you were playing um, Pathfinder early on, and especially like you said with older white men, like did you did you ever understand or even conceptualize any of like the stuff um, around races in the game and things like that? I think like I I never really had like an academic understanding of it like not back then like Mm -hmm. i know like there's a lot of conversations about like biological essentialism and like Mm -hmm. what we have to say about like how we uh use these monstrous people as analogs for like real life um like people yeah i at that time like i did not have that level of understanding Mm -hmm. but what i did have was like i opened this book and i don't see a brown person in it yeah like or like, you know, like I, I grew up being told I had white hobbies. Like I listened to Evanescence and Three Days <laughs> yeah. Grace. And like I grew up being told like, oh, the stuff you're into is for white people. And yeah. so when I went into like a game store and I see all these books with white people on the cover, at the time it was just sort of reinforcing what I had been told is like, well, I guess I am into white people hobbies. Yeah. And so it took me a while to sort of develop like both the like the cultural awareness and like the self-awareness to be like, no, these aren't white people hobbies. These are my hobbies. These are our hobbies. If if we are here, it's for us. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it definitely like I think that stuff, it kind of, you know, sits in the back of your head And, and especially looking at the books and i mean i'm surprised still to this day some books that come out have recently like um i talked about it before but like the dragon age uh like for the games you can play as a person of color in the game but in the dragon age rpg book there is not a single person of color uh i sat in the game store and searched through it the whole time and i was like wow not um, one 
not, not one. one. Not That's one. sad. Yeah, in The Witcher RPG, who is made by the Pondsmiths, does not have a person of color in the book. That's um, yeah. So you know, there's still some things to to this day that need to be done, um, which you know. As many issues as Paizo has, that's one of the things that I have enjoyed. The stuff that um, you and the other freelance writers have done of you know creating this stuff and making it worlds where it's like not only are we getting people of color in these books, but we're also getting people who are non-binary and trans and gender fluid, and um, you know basically just putting as much representation in as possible um, and making it feel like this book is a welcome place for people who have been marginalized yeah and that that is absolutely something that like we make a point to do like because i think a lot of people have this idea of just like well if i keep it in the back of my mind then i'm sure it'll happen organically it Mm -hmm. doesn't it does not happen (laughs) organically someone has to make it a point put it on paper um because if you don't make it a point you will just end up unconsciously reinforcing like those biases and so like um there are a lot of people who work at paizo who have it on like written down in an outline half of the writers for this book have to be women because if they don't write it down then the next person down the line will say well i will just arbitrarily choose a list of people to write for this book and oh oops they're all men yeah you have to make it a point you have to make it a conscious effort and so when i you know wrote uh hurricanes howl i sat and i did see like how many queer characters are in this book how many women are in this book how many like this that the next thing because uh even even I will do it. If I am not consciously thinking, I will just be like, oh, well, I need a character here. I guess it's a man because, yeah. you know, bartenders are men. So I guess a bartender is a man. Yeah, 100%. It has to be something you are constantly checking yourself on. Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely agree. Um, and it is. It's super easy to just fall into those tropes of like, oh, well, your job is you carry a sword then you're a guy. Um, and, you know, and I tried to do that uh, myself with the game, my home game that I play in, uh, we're playing in Vidrian. And, and so, you know, having like the Anthusis Council and stuff like that, it's nice because the council is pretty much lined up, but there are other characters. And so it's like, okay, well, how do I add in more diversity here? Um, you know, having like the captain of the guard be um a woman and like trying to do stuff like that because it it was, it's so easy for all of us, like you said, to just really fall into those same patterns. Um, And even if, even if it is a home game, I think it helps us as a group to be like, Hey, you know what? Like, let's all be conscious of this. Let's all remember that this fake person has preferred pronouns and you know what I mean? Like, let's pay attention to this stuff because it's just going to make people better in general. Yeah, because, I mean, here's the thing. If you are playing a role-playing game and the captain of the guard has they, them pronouns, that's a fictional person. It doesn't hurt their feelings when you misgender them. They're fictional. But if you do it correctly, and if you make your mental note, this person's pronouns are they, them, I'm going to use they, them pronouns. Now, when you go out into the world and meet a real person with they, them pronouns, you have practiced and you have internalized the importance of that. So even though this fictional captain of the guard might not care, the person who you meet next week might care. And so it's, it, that is also another reason why that kind of diversity in an RPG is important because like, if you are, if you can visualize like a, the full diversity of the human race when you're just sitting around with your friends, you will take that with you when you go out into the world and do other things. Yeah. Yeah. That's, uh, it, it is, it's super awesome to see. I mean, that, that was one of the first things that I noticed as I was reading through the, through the book. Um, and you know, I guess like, cause I do want to talk about the stuff that you've written in there, but I, I'm also curious, you know, for you, when did writing start? 
Um, I've always done various types of writing. Um, you know, uh, I like in school, most of it was like, well, I have to write an essay, so I'll write this essay. But I've always been like, well, uh, I, I wrote a lot of like, not quite fan fiction, but yeah. like, um, I would watch an anime and be like, well, my character for this anime <laughs> is, you know, a samurai with, you know, it, this is one piece. So the guy has yeah. three swords. My character has six swords. Like, <laughs> yeah. Um, so like I always did those sort of like creative exercises. And then yeah. as I got older, I was like, okay, well, let me, let me do something a little bit more serious with this. Let me make a little bit more of an effort with this. Um, and so I would create like little fantasy worlds where I was like, okay, what are the rules of this world? Like, you know, like, is there magic here? What are the rules of the magic? You know, uh, like what do the people of this world do? And that sort of just carried forward into what I do now. Yeah. Did you like go to school for writing as well? Um, technically. Technically, yeah. Um, I, I did one semester as an English major and I did one semester as a psych major. Yeah. Um, and that is the amount of college that I've done. Yeah. No, Hey, I'm right there with you. I did, uh, I did two years as an English major in Kentucky and I took all of the creative writing classes I could take. And by the end of my sophomore year, I was done and I was like, well, I don't want to sit around and write research papers on British literature. So yeah, I guess that's it. <laughs> Taking all I can take. Um, but, I mean, it's awesome that you've been able to turn this into a career and, and you know, follow that passion. What, uh, do you have, like, a favorite piece that you've written or favorite work? It's, it's very hard for me to pick favorites because yeah. as soon as I write a thing and it's done, it's out, and it's in the world, I put it out of my mind because I'm like, yeah. all right, time to do the next thing. Um, <laughs> But like, I mean, I love everything in the Mwangi Expanse. Yeah. Like that is one of the proudest things that I've ever been a part of. It's just mm -hmm. like such a fantastic book. I loved writing Hurricane's Howl. I love being able to create that adventure. Yeah. Um, you know, and I have... I have so many like little things where... Um, uh, like in Pathfinder first edition, I created a cavalier that can ride vermin. Um, <laughs> so, uh, as people have fondly referred to them, they're the spider riders. <laughs> nice. Um, and it's just like, it's, it's hard for me to pick a favorite because there are so many little things. Like I wrote a spell where you can summon a little like spectral squirrel to like go out and scout for you. Yeah. Um, and like it's just my favorite thing is just seeing other people's reactions and seeing how much other people enjoy it so like yeah. for me i i couldn't pick one thing yeah no i definitely get that and so um you know when i talked to quinn he kind of i guess opened my mind to the, the fact that like when you're doing this stuff it's also um game design and so does that aspect of it because especially for like the adventure path there's a lot of game design involved in there um just the game design aspect of it um is that something that you really enjoy as well i i love it um yeah. i know like early on i was just like okay i get to write this really cool world building and i guess i have to write some rules to go with it but like yeah. the more i did it like the more fun it became for me and the more i enjoyed it um since you brought up Quinn, um, I remember once a conversation he was having where he was like, it's easy for me to call myself a game designer, but I don't know if I would call myself a writer. And I realized for me, it was the opposite. I had been yeah. calling myself a writer for so long. I didn't realize I had become a game designer also. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. yeah, like it's gotten to the point where like I... I am no longer satisfied just writing other people's games. I want to write my own game. Yeah. Um, so like, yes, I've definitely been trying to get into the more into the game designer side, like the role. Yeah. No, I mean, that's awesome. I, and I think it's so cool. Like for me, somebody who 
first experience of it is similarly like looking at these books and not having any kind of representation whatsoever, not seeing a ton of people of color playing these games. Um, and then to see uh, writers and game designers like yourself and like Quinn and um, you know Nick Butler and stuff like that. Like it's, it's so cool to, to see you all out here doing this. And I think it's, it's, inspiring and it's going to help other folks who are up and coming who are like oh yeah i can i can get into this too and so um yeah i mean it it's just crazy it's super exciting um you know what uh for the moinga expanse you remind me you wrote um, some of the deities is that correct yeah i wrote some of the de- uh, some of the deities and i wrote two bestiary entries yeah that's awesome so um you wrote grandmother spider Mm-hmm. Yeah, we use Grandmother Spider in my home game, and uh, yeah, the I'm in love with it. My players in love with it. It's uh, it's so cool, you know, just all of that around yeah. it. Yeah, um, you know what? Like, did you have much source material to go off of when you started that project, or what was that like? So that's one thing. So there will always be varying amounts of source material because sometimes they'll ask me to write something, and it'll be like. This has been a part of the setting since the very beginning. There's like 17 books with like three paragraphs each. You got to cross-reference all of those and like make it work. And then sometimes they'll be like, we came up with this a week ago. What do you got? Um, (laughs) So like Grandmother Spider is definitely one of the more established deities. She's been around for a long time. And so like my job with her wasn't necessarily to like reinvent her. It was just sort of like to show another facet of her. Yeah. Um, because like, yeah, she is a, like, uh, like a trickster God and like a storytelling God. And so I was like, okay, what does that mean to this culture specifically? Yeah. Like it is one, it is a place where there is a lot of oral tradition and oral storytelling. Mm -hmm. So a God of storytellers is going to be like very, very well respected, like more so than most places. Yeah. And two, it's a place where a lot of like foreigners and a lot of invaders have come and tried to like colonize and steal. And so like, yeah, a trickster God who's all about like toppling tyrants and like, you know, like empowering the weak. Yeah. Yeah. That is someone who's going to be way more important in this part of the world. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. When you read it, you don't it doesn't read to me like like a Loki, like just out doing stupid shit, you know, Um it definitely has always read like that of just like somebody who's like, yeah, let's trick them to, you know, get out of this bad situation or to, like you said, topple tyrants or whatever. So um, I definitely think that, you know, that has worked and it's, it's really cool to see. That was one of the things that I really loved is just like, you know, there's this continent that for reasons, even though it's a fantasy world has still dealt with a lot of the things that we have people as people of color have dealt with in real life. Um, and now we're having this chance to kind of rewrite that and make it so that it's like, it's its own place. It's its own power. It's its own everything. Um, and so it's really cool to have some of those, uh, some of those stories. What, um, what was, uh, some of the other ones that you wrote? So I also wrote the old sun gods who are like the trio of gods that represent the dawn, the midday and dusk. Yeah. Um, And that was very, a very fun exercise to sort of write these like complementary figures. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause it's not really something that Pathfinder specifically has a lot of, but in like world religion, you will often see like, you know, like the sun and moon God who are counterparts, or you'll have like, um, like a God of each season or something. And like, um, so it was very fun to have like these complementary deities who, you know, they have like a similar profile, similar portfolio. They are gods of like goodness and justice, but they each have their own take on it. Yeah. Um, and then the other one I wrote was Maslude, who is the goddess of hearths and communities. Mm. Um, and what I thought was fun to do with her is just be like, um, 
like just imagine like someone was traveling and said oh yeah i have this deity who is all about like respecting your neighbors and living with in harmony with them and like caring for each other and then introducing that to a bunch of people who are like we did we already do that we, that's what we do yeah so like you'll fit in great <laughs> yeah that's awesome that's very cool. And then um, you had mentioned a couple entries in the in the bestiary. What was that? Uh, those creatures. Yes. Yeah, so, those were some wild creatures in that in that bestiary. <laughs> yeah, I wrote uh, the Kanana, the half person. Mm, yeah. Um, which is everyone's uh, nightmare, and it makes me yeah. so happy. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, and that one was fun just because I I put like. A little spin on like the bestiary entry i didn't want it to sound like the typical one i wanted to have like a little bit of like that uh like folklore like that like oral tradition mm -hmm. um like um like i had a book as a kid of like anansi tales and like brer rabbit yeah. tales and like those have a certain cadence to them and i wanted to like capture a little bit of that to talk yeah. about this creepy half of a person who hops on one foot and will <laughs> eat half of you uh yeah so creepy yeah and the other one uh C.A. Goluo who is um the bull spirit the ancestral mm. spirit yeah. um and that one was fun just to write as like a unique creature who was mm. like no this is an ancestral spirit and you can try to fight it but you're gonna have a bad time yeah, and as long as anyone <laughs> believes in him he'll keep coming back yeah yeah yeah, I love it. And and those are cool just for like lore purposes. Cause I definitely like when I when I read those, I always look at like the alignment. And I'm like, why would this thing be here? And if it's there, that's fine. Cause you know, my players don't always fight everything. Um, but also like if it is a good creature, I want to make sure like they don't have reasons to fight it either. <laughs> like, let's not get into this because you will get fucked up. So um don't do it. But yeah, it's a... Uh, it is a lot of fun. You you reminded me, Anansi, um, when I was a kid, I had like, it was a cassette, you know, um, mm. to age myself, um, of Anansi, the spider stories. And I, I didn't know this until I was an adult when I looked it up, but it was narrated by Denzel Washington. Oh, wow. That's cool. Yeah. But using like a African accent. Um, <laughs> yeah. It was, uh, it's interesting to find out, but yeah, Anansi of course is such a huge, um, you know, African folk tale. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, I mean, that's like the Anadi themselves and grandmother spider and all of that, like tie in is such a cool, uh, concept for, for role-playing games. Yeah. That's one of the reasons why I am so fond of them is because I did love like the Anansi tales as mm -hmm. a kid Yeah, and like, you know, as African-Americans, most of us don't have those like strong ties to our heritage. Like yeah, a lot of sure. us don't have our family history or know where we came from. Yeah. So like having stories that connect you to those places, like to your ancestors has always felt very strong to me and like yeah. very powerful to me. So Anansi has always been one of my favorite like mythical figures mm -hmm. um, just because uh you know, it's like, yeah, I can see how those stories have carried through into like our modern storytelling traditions yeah. and like how we did bring those with us. Yeah. And I mean, you know, like you talked about with like the oral tradition and now we're doing this thing in this, in this world where we play TTRPGs and it's all oral storytelling, you know, and, yeah. um, you know, it's, it's really cool to kind of get back to that, even if that's not necessarily the reason that it, that it started i think it's it's nice to have that tie-in um you know as writers and creative people to be able to pull some of that stuff um i really do love that a lot um you know when you um like what was it like for you to be able to write one of the books for an adventure path it was um, amazing. It was a little bit overwhelming. <laughs> it was like, um, it's one of those things where um, I never knew I wanted to do it until someone asked me to do it. Yeah. And then I was like, 
yeah, yeah, I do want my name on the cover in Adventure Path. Yeah. Um, and so it was just, it was a fantastic opportunity to just like bring ideas to life that I never would have had anywhere else to put. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, like the entire process, it was a learning experience for sure, because there are definitely so many things that go into writing an adventure that I hadn't even like thought about like i feel like when you have the book in your hand those things sort of become invisible right and when you're writing the book it's like oh no i have to do all of that yeah 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 it's definitely a a, a practice in in proofreading i'm sure just going back and figuring yeah. out like what's gonna work yeah um yeah no that's super cool and i, I mean i guess because you said you've been writing um for, for paizo for for six years um and you know was most of the other stuff just like shorter shorter things or um i mean i've gone like i've done like a pretty broad range but okay. i think like the Mwangi expanse was probably the most i had ever written for a book up to that point gotcha. like yeah. that was um like i think in total it comes out to like 10 pages yeah. or like you know nine pages out of that book yeah um where like in the past I've written sizable sections, but mm-hmm. like usually it would be not quite that much all in one go. Um, yeah. So like going from like eight to 10 pages to an entire book uh, was definitely like a leap for me, but <laughs> Yeah. So I know that you um you had talked about early on like loving fantasy and stuff like that. Um you know, has your now that you've like been involved in the TTRPG world, like has your taste in the different types of games changed? Like do you enjoy other kinds of landscapes? I know you've written stuff for um like Thirsty Sword Lesbians and Yeah. Um I've never played the game, but I I, I know people love it. But uh, I'm just curious, like, you know, what are you into, like, sci-fi and other, like, horror games, whatever? Or is it kind of still, is fantasy, like, the main? I, I will say that horror is not my jam, mm-hmm. but I personally just view science fiction as, like, a flip side of fantasy. Yeah. It's, like... I think people like to put this hard line where it's, like, this is magic and this is science. But it's, like, yeah. all right, what is Dune? <laughs> yeah what, what what's what's the science of dune where people have this magic worm spice that lets them teleport and read minds <laughs> or whatever it is that happens in dune yeah. like the the divide is so much thinner than people think it is mm-hmm. like even star wars like okay what's the science between the man who shoots lightning from his fingers please how is he not a wizard yeah for sure they don't even use guns yeah no yeah. i mean yeah the, the oh, blasters are there but like nobody nobody hits anybody with a blaster in star wars come on i know i know star wars fans are gonna come after me but i honestly don't give a shit about star wars i only care about the jedis that's it like i i barely watched mandalorian and i did enjoy it but i was like i was not going to because i was like oh well it's about a bounty hunter like i don't give a shit about it <laughs> I haven't seen the Mandalorian. I, yeah. I, I don't watch Disney Plus, so I don't, I don't, I don't see any of those shows. <laughs> no Disney Plus at all. You just try to stay away from it. I got it for one month because I wanted to watch Encanto. Um, after this month is over, I'm not going to renew it. So yeah. maybe I'll watch the Mandalorian. Um, in right. like the the 21 days I have left. <laughs> right. I have kids, so I can't not have Disney Plus, and mm. um, and Kanto made me cry. So, it's a it good is. movie. It's really yeah. good. Yeah, it is kind of interesting though. Um, while we're talking about it, that um, the one black girl in there nobody listens to, and she has the fucking the power to hear everything, and nobody listens to her. You know, like, that's saying some shit about the world, and I don't think they did that on purpose. I don't. It's think just they like, <laughs> like she's telling you all the time. I hear him. He's alive. She hears everything. Spoilers for Encanto. People don't listen to what she says. <laughs> people that, don't you know, not listen to what she says. That's some bullshit. Um, you know, 
black women in media still get mistreated. Zendaya in Dune was used as a um, way to sell tickets, in my opinion. Yeah, because I mean, allegedly she's supposed to have a bigger part in the next movie. Again, I didn't watch Dune. I don't know what happens yeah. in that. Um, I'm just saying it's there's just some problems that we have. So, um, yeah. you yeah. know, I mean. You know, there's a lot we could unpack. We don't have time. For it. This, <laughs> right. this is an hour long podcast. <laughs> no. I mean, if I can I'm do sorry. three episodes, we can get into it. Let me get stressed out. Yeah, hey, you can absolutely come back. Um, yeah, no, it's uh, we'll have to go. We'll have to go on a blurred of mouth podcast um, where they just talk about black characters, and um, it's an amazing show if you've never listened to it. Um, but yeah, it's uh, it's interesting. I, I'm I'm curious, like, you know, because you had talked about making your own game. And of course, I don't want to like, if you don't want to put your ideas out there for people just to like completely understand. But like, you know, in terms of other stuff that you would enjoy writing, um, you know, that you're willing to talk about, like what what kind of things are, are in Michelle's brain? Um, I, I won't tell you what I'm working on right now, yeah, but I will perfect. tell you like sort of my wish list mm-hmm. um i want to write for blades in the dark okay. um so here's i don't if you're not familiar with blades in the dark there is uh basically this like post-apocalyptic world where one there's no sun mm-hmm. two everyone who dies becomes a ghost three mm-hmm. the ocean is full of demons that people hunt for their blood to power the electricity wall in their city that keeps out ghosts yeah. and that's just like that's just a tiny bit of what Blades in the Dark is about. Yeah. And with all of the wildness of this world, there's one city that they describe in the main book and like seven continents. And they tell you about one city. Mm-hmm. I want to explore all of that. Evil yeah. Hat, hit me up. They've got <laughs> they've got the first like supplemental book coming. Yeah. I want to be on the next six, please. Yeah. Um I um also I'm a big fan of webcomics, webtoon. Uh I'm a big fan of all of those. There are so many webcomics that I would love to turn into RPGs. Yeah. Um uh Ben F- I don't know how to pronounce his name. I think it's Flouter, like Flautist. Mm. Um but Ben Flouter has a webcomic called The Sword Interval which is about like monster hunters in a dying world. Um, And it would be such a good RPG book. Listen, Ben, if you hear this, get at me. I'll go at him on Twitter. See if he uh, follows me back so we can listen to this. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, no, that's, yeah, it's super cool. There, there is so many, like, I think too, once you start getting into it, um, especially in like the design side of it, it's just like, Oh, I can make that a game. Oh, yeah, I can I could do that. And um I know for myself, like I said, I literally made a one-page RPG and now I'm like I could design a whole game book. Yeah, um, it's addictive. <laughs> um my first game, I actually I made it too long to call it a one-page. It's yeah. like a three-page. But <laughs> I wrote my first game for the BIPOC Vampire Game yeah, Jam. That's awesome. And as soon as I finished it, I was like, I want to make another game. Yeah. Which game uh, did you make? Uh, I wrote A Life Behind Glass, okay. um, which is a game about vampires and humans exploring museums together. <laughs> nice. Yeah, that that whole thing, that was just why, like, it was so cool to see all the stuff people were pushing out and, like, um, I'm, I can't, I never catch streams. I, I should say I really catch streams because I'm usually doing something mostly with my kids. Um, and... But yeah, it was cool to see like just, you know, a bunch of POCs playing games, making games, playing games that they made. And um, I absolutely loved it. It was it was fantastic to be a part of because it was it was so much fun. And also, here's the thing that I think I at least don't notice until I'm in the moment Mm -hmm. is I have a very different personality when I'm just surrounded by black people. Yeah. Um, and like playing that game with a group of black nerds who were excited to play the game is just like um, the game we played. It was Come At They Next by um, 
Ashanti creates. I don't remember Ashanti's last name. I'm sorry. <laughs> um, it was, but yeah, it was just a game about being black vampires and yeah. you know messing people up. And it was like, yes, this is amazing. Uh, yeah. This is what I want to be doing. Uh, Ashanti Anderson. I looked it up. Yeah. Um, that's awesome. Yeah, I I got to play D and D. I got to be a guest PC on a podcast, that, um, Everelm Adventures, which is an all black D and D five E actual play podcast. Um, and I agree, like it was absolutely amazing. It was so cool to just be like, yeah, like these are my people, and you know, and I absolutely love my home game, and like, but I'm the only black person in it. Um, but it definitely was a different energy, a different um, you know, I think a different sense of like humor, a different, you know, the way we talked to each other and how we went about everything. Like it just, there is something very special about being able to like play in those groups and, and have those experiences with each other. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's nice to, uh, to continue that. And I mean, Utopia, you know, has done a great job of, of helping to bring a lot of folks together too. Do you um do you enjoy like doing streaming and actual plays and stuff like that? Uh it wasn't something I ever thought I would get into, but yeah. now that I've started, like I feel like I've got a bug for it. I feel like that's <laughs> yeah. I feel like I've started a lot of stories by saying that. It's like <laughs> Yeah. Um That's how my like, brain works too. So Yeah, like I sort of dipped my toes into it with Vamp Jam and then we did like the space weekend and I was like, all right, I gotta do something mm. for this. Uh, and now I'm just like, I want to do more. What what other <laughs> shows can I be a part of? Like, what else can I do? Yeah. Do you did you feel different like playing live um, than how you play normally as well? I I always have a little bit of nerves when I'm on camera. Like I always yeah. have like a little bit of like that that feeling in my chest. But like once I got into it. I wasn't thinking about the camera, the audience. I was just like, I'm here. I'm having a great time. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's a, uh, it is very different. You know, I, I love, uh, I love playing off offline, you know? Um, I don't think I've never, act, I've never played on a stream. I've done podcasts. I've done my own one shots and then, um, being a guest, but, uh, I, I will be a guest on some streams and I'm a little bit, a little bit nervous about it. Cause just cause I, I fidget so much, I think. And, uh, you know, you like, where am I supposed to like, look and like keep you know, all that. It's just so distracting. So here's the thing. I, I swivel a lot. I have a chair that swivels. Yeah. So I swivel a lot and I don't think about it until after I've done it. Yeah. And if you ever get to watch me GMing, um I, I gm thirsty space lesbians uh mm. for space week yeah. and there's a good like 10 minutes where my face is half out of frame because i've swiveled in my chair <laughs> and like when we are recording we don't see the frames we see like the zoom call yeah and so no one realized i was out of frame and so <laughs> we didn't know until we watched it back after um yeah i love it that's so funny no, that's super cool. Yeah, I um, do you do you have now now that you've like done a bunch of different stuff, Paizo, which is pretty uh, rules heavy, um, the playbook uh, for PBTA, uh, making your own game. Like, do you feel like, um, and then Blades in the Dark? I haven't. I've listened to like an episode of a show, um, but I never like dug deep into the game itself or listened to like a ton of play of it. So. Do you feel like now, um, as you've kind of grown into this, like, do you have more of like, you enjoy the narrative style of stuff um, or the more rules-based stuff? I feel like there is room for both and I, I enjoy different things about both. Yeah. I feel like if I want to get like really into a, a story and I want to get really into a character, I like a narrative game that just gives me that freedom to be mm -hmm. like, whatever my character wants to do, that's what we're doing today. Yeah. Or, you know, obviously it's collaborative. Everybody right. else's characters, what they want to do matters too. But it's yeah. like, if I want to um, take over the council of this city as like a criminal mastermind, Blades in the Dark lets me do that. Yeah. Um, 
which is not easy. You might die, but it lets you do that. <laughs> yeah. Um, whereas on the other hand, I, like I said, I grew up with video games and I grew up with very like tactical video games. And so sometimes I do want that feeling of like crunching numbers to do the most damage. Yeah. Like sometimes I do want to be like, and then I get my plus three sword of flames and I, <laughs> yeah. I add an extra 2d6 of damage to my attack, and, and because I rolled a 19 on the attack, I also add my extra damage modifiers. Sometimes yeah. I want that. Yeah, for sure. I love it, yeah. In the one shot I did, um, I had two players that hadn't played Pathfinder 2e yet, and um, one of them, like, he was a fighter, and one of his hits was like 73 points of damage. And they were level 10, but it's just like, you don't really see that in D anD D, and then uh, uh, the other guy did uh, Kona Cold for ninety points of damage. Uh, it feels so good. It feels so good. <laughs> um, I'm playing in a game. Um, it's uh, Night of the Gray Death, which is like a level sixteen Pathfinder adventure. Mm -hmm. And when you're level sixteen in Pathfinder, that means that means you have eighth level spells. You can yeah. do some wild stuff. Yeah, and I I dealt 140 damage with one spell because I crit on the spell. Yeah. 140. That is such a big that's, number. Oh, yeah. That's huge. Yeah. It's so much fun to just like, I mean, yeah. I definitely think it, it's interesting. Um, I haven't had a chance to be a player for Pathfinder. I'll say that. I've only ever uh, GM'd. Um, I will be a player for Pathfinder soon. Um, hey there, Michelle. Um, but um, yeah, we uh, it's it's crazy just to like to see that scale, um, you know. And that's why I wanted to give those players like let's just play tenth level because I want to know what it's like. My players now in our home game are only at fifth level. Um, I'm sure you guys will have fun doing it. So like, let's just you know go out and just fight some stuff and and try to do some crazy antics you know with these high level characters who are basically just gods it's wild yeah like sometimes sometimes you want that grid sometimes you want to see all the zombies lined up so you can like angle your spell mm -hmm. to like hit the most you can hit like like powered by the apocalypse doesn't give you that feeling that yeah. that 140 damage feeling <laughs> yeah it'll give you like yeah, there's a room full of henchmen and you beat the shit out of all of them. And depending on who's narrating it, like it could sound really awesome, but you don't know how much damage you did. Um, and there definitely is a difference in that uh, in that sense. Yeah. And like that, that's also the other thing about like narrative games. So much is open to interpretation. Yes. So like you could be playing one of those like powered by the apocalypse games and you like roll like double sixes and it's like you're so good at fighting you take down like eight guys but there's 17 guys in the room where in pathfinder it's like no mathematically i take <laughs> down 17 guys yeah there is no wiggle room that's there what the not. dice say yeah yeah i listen to um uh, the glass cannon podcast and they're really high level and uh, there's a point when there's a chain lightning spell that's done. And it's like that perfect situation of like, all right, we got all these people lined up. And uh, yeah, I was like, wow, this is a lot. And they're playing Pathfinder first edition, but it's still like those numbers get really wild up there. Yeah. Chain lightning is a bonkers, <laughs> bonkers yeah. spell. Yeah. It's so fun, though, just to get into it. Um, you know, and the magic systems, I think, is cool, too, because I think it'd be... While you can have like in narrative play and, and, you know, if I'm wrong, I haven't done a bunch of those games, so I don't know, but like, it just seems like when you're talking about doing magic and stuff, like having those rules set really helps to outline how those things work as opposed to just like making stuff up, um, you know, and like mass, like, okay, these are your powers. And it's like, okay, cool. Well, I use this power for this or whatever. And this is what I'm doing when I'm engaging um, where it's like, no, I cast a fireball at, eighth level um and that's 16 d6 yeah exactly <laughs> so, yeah it's uh it's interesting but yeah i mean do you have any other like projects that you're that are coming up that you can talk about or that you want to talk about 
Um, I will say, uh, so you mentioned I wrote a playbook for Thirsty Sword Lesbians. Yeah. It's called The Blade Soul. Um, it's for people who want to turn into a literal sword lesbian. It's uh, for... <laughs> Uh, if you're familiar with Soul Eater, like uh, Boyfriend Dungeon, Shaman King, any of those things where you like you have a partner who you battle with, that's mm. sort of the inspiration. So that's what that's for. Um, I have another playbook that I'm currently working on um, that I have called The Last, where, uh, you know, I, I think it's a very popular sci-fi trope where you've got the last of this alien or the last mm. of this star empire the last spartan the last jedi yeah. so i wanted to explore what it's like to be the last of something yeah um so that's the next one that i'll be releasing yeah that's awesome yeah is that going to be for thirsty sword lesbians as well yes awesome is that a sci-fi game or is that a fantasy game so it is setting neutral okay. um so in the in both there's a core rule book and there's now the advanced rule book and mm. both have a list of like settings and adventures that you can play in okay and the core rule book has like a like prompt so you can create your own setting um but it is it's very open-ended so that you can sort of play if you want to do fantasy you can do fantasy um if you want to do like realism and history you can do that mm. um so like it's it is setting neutral you can play it in wherever your group wants to play it yeah that's really cool yeah i um i'll have to check that out i definitely want to try a lot more pbta games um in the future because they just seem fun yeah I, there's never enough time to play all the games that you want to play um really isn't. <laughs> but i i'm unless trying like, yeah unless you're um you know uh, ttrpg super successful person who just that's all you do for your life and that's not me yet so you know i gotta i gotta, I gotta do the real day job thing and play less games unfortunately so yeah sad. but yeah um you know i'm super excited to have you on um you know i'm super excited to get to play games with you in the future um and uh yeah this is this has been great to to talk to you and talk some writing and talk about you know one of my favorite source books this is really cool yeah i have been uh i was super super excited to like get to have this conversation with you and just yeah. talk about this stuff because i think there are a lot of conversations that people are starting to have mm -hmm. and I think those conversations have started and some people aren't ready for them, but <laughs> yeah. once we start, it's too late to stop it. So we're just going to yeah. keep talking about it. Yeah, definitely. That's, you know, that's what it's all about. Just, you know, trying to show people that we're here and, and we're not going to shut up and we're not going to walk away. So, um, you know, I'm super excited to add, you know, whatever I can to the space and, and help tell people stories and, you know, show that uh, some of us have been doing this for a long time. You know? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Super excited. Well, yeah, you know, everybody go out and check check out Michelle's um work and books and definitely get your hands on the Boeing Expanse. Um play the Strength of Thousands uh adventure path because I haven't yet and I refuse to read it because I want to play it, but I also want to read it and it's very difficult for me. Um yeah, check out your your playbooks and everything. Yeah. Do you wanna um do you have any other like stuff that you want to plug in terms of, you know, your games or anything like that? You know, it's not it's not my game, but go play Thirsty Sword Lesbians. Yeah. Even if you are not personally a lesbian, check out the book. Give it a try. I'm sure you'll enjoy it. Maybe yeah. you'll learn something about yourself. I don't know. Um, <laughs> hey, but, you know, let's be honest. A lot of nerds, men, play women in video games. So you can play a woman in RPG, too. It's fine. Yeah, you can. It's okay. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. This Nobody's is, it's you. about role playing. It's about exploring characters. And yeah. even if you don't want to play a woman, like there are settings um, and like characters and like um, that are specific to men. Um, there's like the Gaylord setting, which is all about like ballroom drama, like the, the ballroom ballroom. Um, <laughs> so like 
there is something in this game for everyone to explore and it's not my game to plug but i'm writing content for it that i sell so the more people who play it the better (laughs) yeah for sure no definitely yeah definitely check that out as well well um yeah again thank you so much for coming on um you know this has really been awesome and I, i super appreciate it yeah thank you for having me yeah thanks Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. If you would like to reach out to us, check out the many options on the Anchor app or anchor.fm on your browser. You can also reach us at secretnerdpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to subscribe to the show. And if you'd like, leave a review to help us grow this thing. <laughs>